stories of innovation and success from the vibrant communities of rural Nova Scotia. This is Ignited. Hey there, welcome to Ignited the Podcast, where we celebrate innovation and rural success. I'm Wade Cleveland. I work for a rural innovation hub called Ignite, a place that brings startups and industry, youth and community together with the goal of making an impact on rural communities everywhere. Think innovation, not location. Today, we're chatting with Candace Fibbs and Rick Allwright about their company, Mile East Productions, an event company based in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. That is, at least for now, the ultimate side hustle. You know how you run into people who have so much on the go that you ask them, only half kiddingly, when do you have time to sleep? Well, that's Candace and Rick. Candace is in healthcare. Rick is currently the managing director of the Yarmouth Chamber of Commerce. On the side, they run Mile East, who create and run their own events, often organize and conduct national events that happen in the area, and there's been a few, believe me, and do wedding planning. On top of that, Candace has yet another side hustle with Yarmouth Walking Tours, a tourism experience she put together. All this, plus a a 40-hour-a-week full-time job for each of them. I'm just glad they found the time to chat with me at all. You're actually from Ontario. Both of you are from Ontario. Did you come here as a couple? Somewhat. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Okay. Now, now we're getting into uh, yeah, the yeah, good let's, stuff. Yeah, let's get right into the relationship to start things <laughs> off. <laughs> um, I had moved here in 2010. In May, uh, I took a job at Yarmouth Regional Hospital and was intending to stay here for a year. Uh, we had been dating for a year when I made the move. So, you know, that was a stressor on the relationship a little bit because I did move here alone, um, intending to stay for that year. And after a few months when it became kind of obvious that there was a possibility to stay longer, uh, Rick had come out to visit here and he moved here in September. Yeah, right in the middle of a hurricane. Really? (laughs) Not a bad sign at all. (laughs) So, yeah, that one year that I intended to stay in Yarmouth turned into two, turned into we're going on 13 years now, and we've just fallen in love with the area. So certainly getting into business ownership wasn't you know, why we moved here. I work and still work in healthcare, uh, and Rick has had kind of a few different jobs along the way as well. Yeah, but let's talk about that just for a second, because everything you've done has been very uh, community-facing and and has involved a lot of, I guess, interesting things. When I met you, when I first met you, you were working kind of as a sales and uh, events creator for YASTA, the Yarmouth and Acadian Shores Tourism Association. Was that the first thing you had? No. So I moved here. I was selling commercial insurance, having never sold commercial insurance before. Quickly figured out selling insurance wasn't necessarily for me. The opportunity uh, came up with YASTA to do group sales and definitely turned into way more than just sales, <laughs> but uh, it started out as that and has led us down this path, that's for sure. Yeah, well, let's talk about the path because the path is a, it's an interesting one. I mean, what you guys do, again, very community-facing, and were you planning on you know grabbing a side hustle at some point right from the start? I've always been an entrepreneur of some, some way. I started my first business when I was 
15 or 14, something like that. So I don't think it was really of any surprise I was going to do something else and, and so I have some sort of side hustle because it's just my nature. It does make sense when you look at what we did, what I was doing with Yasta. Um, we were, I was going after major events uh, with that organization to bring, it, bring them here to Yarmouth. Although the job was meant to be get the event, sell them on coming, and hand it off to another organizing committee, that rarely happened. It always ended up being me organizing it for the most part. There's, there's committees involved, but there's always a significant portion of the job that turned into planning the event. Right. Um, so it, it kind of naturally led from, from that point into developing events for the region that uh, didn't necessarily exist, but were not national in scope and things that we were bidding on through Yasta. So you need an event, make your own. Yeah, exactly. And and that's kind of been the the angle that we need to, uh, to as a community, push more for and uh, uh, building our own events rather than paying to bring events here. You've mentioned the fact that when you were young, you kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit anyway. And I, you know what? With a lot of the entrepreneurs I speak to, that kind of is the thing. So It just, starts early. Yeah. <laughs> what gives somebody that, that kind of entrepreneurial outlook? I think part of it comes from a drive of wanting money. Um, of so, and, and as a kid, that you know, you you find ways to do that one way or the other. And we were cutting lawns, doing selling lemonade, whatever it took to get that little bit of cash. That was that was the drive, and and we always found little things and entrepreneurial ways to to develop that. So, um, that first business that I started at fourteen, it was through a grant from the Ontario government. Um, and it was uh, as a woodworking, small woodworking business. And I was, I think I was the youngest kid that year to receive that grant. And I look back at that, that grant application, that business plan, and I was like, holy crap, what did I, this, this was so bad. <laughs> How did anyone ever give me money? Hey, you were 14 years old, but yeah, somebody gave you money. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was, I think that just that little bit of spark. And then they provided a ton of mentoring along the way. And my mom owned a, she was a, seamstress so she she did a lot of uh home decor and whatnot as well so we were all immersed in that anyways like we were helping her every day do that doing that we un- understood some of the underworkings of a business um some of the more mundane stuff of doing how, the paperwork that had to be done and uh i've understood how to do hst and gst since i was like 10 years old so like <laughs> i just i like it's just some of those really crappy things you don't want to do as a business owner I've understood since for a very long time, and it's just things you need to do. Those are things that tend to scare the hell out of people when they're starting a business. It's easy to have an idea, but turning it into something first off and doing the action, but then doing all the paperwork. Well, and with the chamber in that role, I see it often of entrepreneurs just not knowing where to start with just the basics of getting a business registered. And it's, it's not complicated. It's not that scary. You just got to go through the steps and it can be aggravating. There are aggravating pieces to it, especially when you're trying to register a name or something, but that's, you can get through that. Mm-hmm. Now, Candice, how about you? Were, were you always in, uh, had that entrepreneurial spirit or were you just kind of, uh, okay, here we go for a ride? <laughs> I was a little bit of a ride. Um, I've always been very driven um, when it comes to work. I started working much like Rick, very young, but working on, you know, my grandparents' farm. Uh, I started picking berries at different farms in southwestern Ontario. 
And then I got my first uh, position with a grocery store when I was 15. And I rarely have held just one job. Yeah. So, you know, very work-driven, very money-motivated, I'll say. And when it came to what we were going to do as far as a business, as Rick said, he's he w- always knew he was going to do something where he owned his own business. But leading to, you know, Mile East Productions, there were a lot of bad ideas before that that we kind of Ooh. had to veto a little bit. So we got to a spot where we we came to an agreement on what we wanted a business that we were going to own together to look like. Tell me a bad business idea. I'm not, I'm not even sure what you're talking about now. <laughs> oh, well, there's been an array of, you know, ideas on pop-up food trucks and it just, you know, neither of us are chefs or anything like that and getting to, you know, something that went hand in hand with what Rick was already doing with Yasta, really I was comfortable with it and there was a need for it in this community. There's a there were bad ideas as much as Rick has steered those into the back of his brain, those but are, those are all gone. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of this business though is also we had the right people pushing us in this direction too. Right. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't just us. We had the support around us of uh, in the community of people saying we could use this, and you guys could pull this off, and yeah. those sorts of things. And it was it was constant that happening, and, and they were always there to back us up and and guide us in the right direction too. So okay, um, the right partners involved. Sounds good. So tell us about the early days of Mile East. What was the first thing you did? Did you come up with your own event? Our first official event would be the New Year's Eve at the Grand. Mm-hmm. And that was, which is still going on. Which is still going on. A couple years hiatus, but it, we brought it back this year. Uh, so that was uh, New Year's Eve 2015 mm-hmm. was the kind of birth of our first event and, and Miley's Productions. Uh, and then at a bigger scale in May of 2016 was the Yarmouth Spring Living Show. Right. Yeah. And like, so with New Year's, it was very much, we had the right partner in the hotel that you wanted to work with us and make make something happen shared the risk very evenly between all of us to make to bring it together so it made it a very gentle landing into it right um, we were, didn't go into doing that event expecting to make all sorts of money or anything or we just wanted to put on a good show and and that and that works out like i think when you go into it with the right attitude for um to start with it does make a huge difference tell us a little bit about the home show the business that you do with mile east aligns so well with what is needed in a small rural community particularly this one that it works really nicely and the home show certainly has been a success and again covid slowed everything down but here we are back again yeah, COVID definitely slowed that down. That was we were, we were we were coming back from Ontario, having supposed to have gone to Italy, and we canceled it on the hotel before we drove back here. Yeah, and that was going to be our <laughs> 2020 would have been our fifth year of yeah. the Spring Living Show, and there were a lot of you know big plans yeah. for that year, um, almost at a sellout at, yeah. in in March of 2020, and workshops and speakers and that sort of thing. So that was quite a disappointment. But bringing it back, like Rick said about the New Year's Eve event, it was having the right partners. Gil Dares was the manager or CEO of the Mariner Centre at the time mm-hmm. when we started it in he 2016. Really pushed us in the direction of trying to make it happen. He wanted that sort of show back in the centre, so he was really selling us on doing it. 
um, and he came he he came to the table basically as the center, saying, "Let's just make this happen." Um, very favorably financially to make try and make this happen. Like was like we'll just make it happen and we'll figure out the finances later. Basically, is what what came down to. So let's make sure everyone's successful doing this. We had another good partner in the Rotary Club, which was, and that partnership still continues. And it's, it's the same sort of model we follow for a lot of events now is that we partner with a charitable organization to provide staffing uh, in return for a donation because it's basically only two of us and we can't run the entire thing on our own. And the Rotary Club has a great reputation within the community and, and reach into, into various businesses at the time and, and has a, a sizable volunteer base that they can draw on. We went out to sell to vendors. Everyone's very eager to to do this. We we filled both arenas, no problem. We learned a lot. We never organized a home show. We didn't know really what we were getting ourselves into. We were just making it up as we went. But we had enough experience in doing other things and and, and general life and and people to to bounce things off of and beg, borrow, and steal from ideas and thoughts and information from other places that we can we can make it work. But if you're an entrepreneur, you may want to consider becoming an Ignite resident. Residency at Ignite will give you the resources, mentorship, and space you need to grow your startup or idea. You'll become part of an incredible support network, a community that's dedicated to seeing you succeed. But don't just take my word for it. Book a tour of Ignite and see what we have to offer you. Go to IgniteAtlantic.com. There's a ton of different things that you guys are up to, and you seem to be always up to something. And when national events come, usually Mile East has a big part in that as well. We definitely tried to have a part in those. Um, since leaving Yasta, who moved on to the chamber, we've been contracted by Yasta or another group that they're working with to kind of take a lead in planning some of the events that are coming to the area because we have the experience and it, it makes it a lot quicker and easier to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, we have the, those relationships that make that make things happen. But part of our business now, like you said, we're into weddings and whatnot, but we vertically integrated and taken on event rental pieces. So that significantly expands our business. Um, and we were never really planning to get into weddings. And we really only got into weddings at the time because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government said, if you want to have your wedding, you have to have an event planner. There was no event planners around here. So we were it. Really, as much as we, I harped on government at the time for shutting things down and the way they did it, they did throw at least our industry, or the event planners, a little bit of a bone to keep them going a little bit if they wanted to by making people do that. We own a fairly significant number of tents and decor items and chairs and we got three sea cans full of stuff and a whole building full of stuff that um and we just keep we just keep adding to it because there the the, the need, need keeps there. the need keeps coming um i think over the winter of 2023 we'll add probably close to fifty thousand dollars worth of new inventory, inventory. yeah <laughs> yeah that's to rent not necessarily for you to do events with or it can be both of course. It, it, it's definitely both but it's, it's mostly for rent yeah. Uh, yeah which is a good way to scale up i mean it, it's oh, yeah. because let's address this because it's the thought that goes through everybody and i'm sure you hear this a hundred times a week when you run into people how do you have time to do all <laughs> of this stuff because 
it's, uh. it's, it is still a side hustle for both of you at this point, at least. It is. And it's getting a little harder to keep it as just a side hustle. You know, we do have full-time jobs still with, you know, Rick with the Chamber, myself with Nova Scotia Health. We don't sleep enough and <laughs> we work a lot, um, but we both are very work motivated. It's coming to a point that we can't keep doing both. And, you know, for myself, where I've always worked for someone else, it's a scary thing to walk away from. If I do opt to walk away from Nova Scotia Health, it's leaving benefits and a pension behind. That's a hard decision to make. And I think as much growth as we've seen, we're trying to be very thoughtful and and mindful of when is the right time to make that leap to full entrepreneurship. And there, we don't have the answer. No, we no. don't. Well, I, I don't know we're, if anyone We're open does. to any, anyone who wants to provide some insight. <laughs> if, <laughs> if anyone's listening who would like yeah. to provide that, um, it is. I, I can just imagine. And for people who work a lot and work in different things all the time, always has your fingers in it. But there's that security knowing that you're working for somebody else and that uh, it's really a leap of faith. Uh, you're hoping that the barrel, if it, if it's Niagara Falls, you're holding, you're hoping yeah. it holds together. Yeah. But it is. It's a scary thing. It definitely, yeah. it's definitely a leap of faith, and, and I've said it, it's a, it's a leap of faith. And it's, it, but at some point, you do have to do it. I know, I know, I know that's it. It's coming. Just making that decision is harder than you than you think, especially when you have pretty comfy jobs. It is not an easy thing to do. And but it is, you know, when you look at work-life balance and there's a lot of talk in that within the entrepreneurship world that you're trying to carve out some protected time for yourself there are weeks where we have to take client meetings every evening so you've worked all day and you've got client meetings in the evening and then your weekends you're spent following up with those and doing quotes and that sort of thing and your week is gone and the month is gone and you've not necessarily really enjoyed life <laughs> You've not had time off. And everything we do work-related, I say we enjoy. Yes. We do. It's true. Um, but if we didn't have to dedicate 40 hours to someone else, what would that balance what would look, look like? like? And there would be, I believe, more of that. That being said, Rick it's would also, probably pick up more projects. Yeah, but yeah. It's also the... How much more could you? How much more could you do for your own business? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you had forty yeah. hours more yeah. a week to do it for yourself, yeah. so the time is going to come. Um, I'm going to say within the next year, year yeah. that at least one of us will have to make that leap away from the full time. And we've definitely said no to things because of we don't have the time to do it. Yeah, how and can like you? The op- yeah. Like the opportunities there is just it's like there's just no way. And usually those are further afield big projects that it's just there's just no way it's going to happen um with that extra 40 hours a week say 20 (laughs) you could take you could you could potentially take those on right um and you know part of it also comes into pricing our services and whatnot as well and making sure that we actually price it right that we can say no to things and take on more and make that leap and there's there's it's always a challenge of pricing and making sure that we're doing it the right way. And so, yeah. Sometimes you undervalue yourself. All the time. 
all the time. It's very difficult to put a price on your time. Mm-hmm. Very, very difficult. Or to even estimate how much time it's going to take um, in advance, six to a year in advance. Of like, how much time do you think that is going to take? It's a total guess. Yeah. Uh, you don't. You don't really know. It's a guesstimate. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, Wade, we worked with you on Communities in Bloom in 2019, and we provided a quote for that based on, you know, what we thought time-wise it would take. We highly undervalued our time <laughs> on that project because that week of that event, we were at the Mariner Centre from 5 in the morning until midnight. Yeah, and good 20 hour days. It, yeah. Was, yeah. it was quite a week, and we learned each project we do each event we we have a lot of takeaways and a lot of re-evaluation of what should we have charged for that how much time did it actually take and that helps you know inform, inform the, next the next one I, I read on one of our facebook groups of entrepreneurial people price it when you come back to it if it feels if it's if it feels high a little high you're probably right on if it makes you a little sick it's probably right on <laughs> um, because you you have a harder time pricing things than what other people are willing to pay. So just if, if it feels a little wrong in you, it's probably the right price. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about dynamics. And what I mean by dynamics is the two of you spend an awful lot of time with each other. <laughs> and your husband and wife, you're working together, plus you have full-time jobs, plus, and we haven't even gotten to this yet, but you have another side hustle. <laughs> How do you do that? And I do mean that as as a couple. How do you pull that off? I I, I don't know. There's <laughs> a lot of quiet there. It's, uh, I I think I think it I think it's a good thing. I think someone had said he's like someone had told me a while ago. It was like it must it must be good because you must have a good relationship only because you're always able to talk about real stuff and, and important stuff and it's never it's never just mundane every day. It's there's real things to talk about all the time um and, and always issues to to work through there's always there's always there's always, always a little bit of conflict to deal with so it, like if as long as you're able to deal with that that's the biggest thing so um i think that what what they said at the time still rings true um i didn't really understand it at the time but it definitely i think i think it's still i think that rings true yeah i think the way we work together and you know the way we operate our home life as well um we complement each other well. Rick is very much, you know, long-term, big, broad picture, and I'm the detail person. So having those conversations, we we have the opportunity to kind of talk it out and look at it from different perspectives. So there are times where I do think we we talk about just work a lot, but that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. And there are times too where we do opt to just put the phone aside, put the work aside and just be a couple and, and not talk about it. We have a vacation coming up very soon and there's going to be a no work talk allowed <laughs> on that. Um, but yes, it's it's a lot of time together and I'm not going to say there aren't conflicts that come up despite <laughs> thinking we have everything covered because we look at things a different way. As I said, I'm very detail-oriented Rick setting something up and me taking a look at it, I'm not afraid to say, like, no, do it again, because that's not, that's not <laughs> how, how I wanted it done. Yeah, I think it, at the end of the day, it does work. Um, it's, it's, I, I would say it's probably not 
it's definitely not for everyone. And I say that about entrepreneurship in general, it's, it is definitely not for everyone. It is, it is something that is not for the fan at heart and it's, it, it takes a lot to do and it will take a lot out of you and take, it takes a lot of you of a person to be able to be able to do it. So I think I said that to a group of NCC students in the fall. So like, you don't have to do this. Like it's, it's definitely not working a nine to five job is perfectly fine for the majority of people because this is not easy. And that makes sense. Um, let's talk a little bit about being a woman and being a partner to a guy and running a business like Miley's or running any business. Uh, there has to be obstacles. Um, the one that comes to mind always that I always seem to run into with, with other women that I see is almost a lack of respect. And, and you know, I, I don't want to dwell on the negative, but you, you must have to deal with that on a regular basis. I see it a little less in the wedding side of things. I think for the most part, you're dealing with brides and brides relate well to another female. Um, but in events in general, despite us being co-owners of Miley's Productions, we are 50-50, it automatically becomes a default that Rick is in charge. Rick is the lead on the project, et cetera. It doesn't matter how much work. I could be doing three times the amount of work on it, and he's the one getting communicated with. And it gets very disheartening, and it it gets very difficult to keep the motivation going when you're constantly overlooked and ignored and undervalued. I, I have a hard time when I'm left off of a CC of an email on a conversation I started and it's gone back and forth. Rick's gone back and forth on it 10 more times after that. And I'm like, well, when did this happen? Who decided this? Um, in a customer facing event, the equivalent of asking for the manager is asking for Rick. It's not asking for me. And that's very difficult. And I have explained to customers or clients that, you know, oh, I can go get my husband. That's the other person you're asking for. And sometimes, you know, they're, they're a little embarrassed by, by the ask. But for the most part, yeah, okay, go get the man. Go get the man. I'd rather speak to him. As if he has more power. <laughs> it's not true at all. <laughs> yeah, not at all true. So you think we're in 2023 that a female business owner or co-owner would be just as respected, and unfortunately it's not the case. There are still minds that need to be changed and, and perspectives, I think, that need to be changed. And it's females as well as males. That's interesting. It's not. I think, oh, I think yes. the most problems... That can't you've ever had has been with females. It's true. Yeah, it has been primarily women who are looking for the male superior to validate, you know, their concern. Very interesting. Yeah. I want to ask you about the side hustle you have for your side hustle because <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, tell us a little bit about the walking tours that you do. Usually every summer, but when there's events, you, you make yourself available sometimes, don't you? I do try to make myself available for for different events. If we are leading that event, if we've been hired to organize it, uh, I have taken myself off the table because it's a little hard to balance. Um, you know, the event that's going on and leading 20 people through town on a walking tour. But yeah, the walking tours started in 2017. 
I believe. Uh, <laughs> everything's a little dates dates tend to blur. But we had gone. Rick and I had gone to London, England, um, in 2015, and we had gone on a Jack the Ripper walking tour. It was fantastic. Loved it. And when we came back, I had kind of said, I can't believe there's not a walking tour in Yarmouth for something through the week for visitors to do. I was surprised there wasn't anything. So I thought, well, you know, we'll start this. And I I headed to the library and to the archives and started digging into a little bit of Yarmouth's past and put together a few different tour options, a historical tour, a a crime folklore legends tour, which is my favorite one. Yes, uh, ghost stories are in in there. Mm -hmm. And a tour at the Lighthouse as well. And the ghost and crime and folklore one is by far the most popular. Uh, so yeah, those run June through October. And up until COVID, they did run every weeknight. Uh, well, Tuesday through Saturday. They were well received. And from year one to year two, I had a 10% growth in uh, customer bookings. And that was great. And then the boat didn't run. And then it didn't run again and COVID came. So we've kind of been in recovery since then. And I've shifted my model because we are so busy. I can't necessarily offer tours five nights a week. I just, I'm only one person and I, we don't have the number of customers to justify hiring a staff for it. So instead I operate based on inquiry. So if somebody reaches out, hey, we're in town, we'd like a walking tour and it fits in their visit time and my schedule, I'll make it happen and I'll take out private groups as well. And it's five-star reviewed on TripAdvisor. So it's been doing very well. I really enjoy getting to meet people from all over the world. When I think of the amount that you guys have put into this community, a community that you're not actually from. You have done so much for this community in the time you've been here. Just let me say thank you for your drive and for the side hustles and for all that you've done. It's really made a difference in this town. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here. I think we have no intention of going anywhere. It's uh, it's definitely home now and home probably forever. Uh, I don't think we have any intention of ever leaving. Um, we've invested in this community significantly. We own a house here. We own commercial property here, two commercial properties here, and um, maybe more. Uh, <laughs> always something you never in know, the works. You never know what's going to come together. We volunteer in this community. It's, you know, it's a lot of this how we got involved in a lot of this stuff, too, is just through volunteer work and just being being there to support the community. Um yeah, and it's. I think that's all, those are all pieces of, of getting to where we're at and and continuing to to be able to grow our business. To find out more about MyLease Productions, visit their website, MyLease.com. You can follow them and everything they're up to on Facebook and Instagram as well. To find out more about rural innovation and what Ignite does, check out IgniteAtlantic.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you subscribed to Ignited, shared us with your friends, and gave us a good review. And we'd love to hear from you. Any comments or suggestions about the podcast or who you'd like to hear on it are most welcome. Our website is IgniteAtlantic.com, and my email is Wade, W-A-D-E, at IgniteAtlantic.com. I'm Wade Cleveland. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk again soon.